Hello Diversifiers, Holly here with a quick little bit of info about this episode. This episode is about the representation of women and non-binary people in film, mostly behind the scenes, and we talk a lot about that representation or lack thereof. But we recorded this episode over a year ago now, before we realised quite how bad the pandemic was going to be. So not only do we not talk about it or reference it in any way, which might actually be kind of refreshing for you guys, we also refer to an award season that is no more. The award season we are referring to is the one where Parasite won the best Oscar and everyone was talking about Joker. But we think the stuff we talk about is still pretty relevant today. Annoyingly relevant because progress isn't always that swift. But I just thought I'd let you know, just in case you were listening to it, thinking, do they not know the last year has happened? We do. It has. But here's a nice little flashback to simpler times, which were more concerned with, like, representation than literally surviving the year. I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. And we'll see you on the other side. And by see, we mean here. And by here, we mean you'll hear us. Unless you want to voice note your replies and send them to at DiversifyPod on Twitter. In which case, yeah, I will hear you on the other side. Turn out the light, open the curtains. Go and do useful things you to diversify. My name is Holly. And my name is Kate. And this is season three of Diversify. Wow, that happened. Yeah, I mean, you never know what order the episodes are going to go out in, Holly. It is still happening. (laughs) And it is recording. We have the great pleasure of introducing our next guest. Guest, who are you and why are you here? (laughs) Hello, my name is Nikola Vasakova. I'm the founder of Girls in Film, a network and platform for young women in film industry thank you for having me thank you for for being here and being a badass girls in film advocate thanks (laughs) so can you tell us a little bit about yourself Uh and then also a little bit about why yourself chose to create girls in film I'm a producer in um, short-form content whether it's documentaries commercials music videos you know short films um, I started in uh, uh, film production around the 2012, and for the first few years, I was definitely the only woman or one of the two or three that worked on sets and uh, mostly in the production department. So all of your directors, DOPs, gaffers, basically everyone that's kind of involved in the actual making of the film, the physicality of it, and the creativity was always male. Um, And I noticed and I started to get really bored of the fact that I'm just in that female part of the industry that just makes the call sheets and and spreadsheets and whatnot. So I tried to kind of like, you know, segue into the different part of the industry. Um, And I found it quite difficult. But once I kind of made my way into being a creative producer rather than a production manager, I started kind of finding that there are more women um, this is maybe in around 2015. And, you know, more women started to pop up in my field of vision, which was really nice. And uh, 
Some of them were my friends. Some of them are just kind of new through friends of friends. And um, I started connecting them together, especially um, there was a one really good collaboration that came out from a couple of friends that I introduced who were a set designer and director. And I thought that would be a really cool thing to do a bit more often, the sort of seeing these collaborations come through. I found that really rewarding. So to make that easier for myself as well, I thought the best way to be to do it would be to um, have a space where everyone can meet and then I don't have to really do all the, you know, introductions. So I set up a night. I mean, it wasn't so, like, easy and straightforward. I, I mainly just spent a lot of time thinking about why I shouldn't do it and putting lots <laughs> of barriers in front of myself, like it's a shit idea and it's a shit name and it's, you know, like no one's going to care or people going to, you know, people going to kind of think of me um, like I'm trying to be some kind of like femme Nazi. Or <laughs> I mean, two things. First off, me too with this podcast. I was like, I've got this idea. No one will listen. It's shit. I just made loads of excuses. Mm. Is that is that a, a a female thing? And that was going to be point number two. I don't think your standard straight white male creative would go. I've got this idea that could be great and. I'm not going to do it because nobody will like it. I think it's the standard straight white man thing to go. This men in film thing. And it's gonna be great. <laughs> the amount of creative women that have made things in this way that are so inspiring to me because they've gone and done it, even though those voices in the back of the head are saying, don't do it. Yeah. And once you start, you actually realise it's, it's really not that big a deal. And there is more support out there than you thought there was going to be. So that was that was like a big thing for me when we set up the first event. We have sold out 200 tickets overnight. And I really didn't imagine that kind of response because I was counting on just a bunch of my friends coming down, you know. And so that really opened my eyes to the fact that there's this huge audience or community of filmmakers out there that really want to connect and want to know more and you know sometimes it's it's really lonely being um, a creative I think in a, across different industries as I'm sure you know so it's also this idea of just a sort of a human connection and being in a room and and maybe even just I don't know seeing that you're not the only person kind of trying to do what they want to do you know yeah I think as well when you're in a room and you're talking to people about it it solidifies that you sort of have to do it now. If you've said to somebody, oh, I've got this idea, they say it's great, do it. And then the next month they go, have you done it yet? And you still haven't done it six mm. months later. You suddenly start going, oh God, people are asking me about it. It holds you to account, I think. I think that's why networking can be amazing. The thing about these events though, I came along to one of your events and it was just so inclusive and welcoming. It mm. didn't feel elitist. It didn't feel like I was at this networking event where everyone was trying to outdo each other and you know you came in it was like yeah just grab a beer have a seat on the beanbag watch the films and it was just sold yeah <laughs> have a beer sit on a beanbag <laughs> it was it was very special and then afterwards people really were speaking to each other and it's really special being able to create a community like that mm. I'm not very natural networker myself and I really never wanted to do this thing as a networking sort of series of events, I just thought, just book a room for a bunch of women that do the same stuff and then just let it happen. You know, like I, I always get really nervous about these sort of like really purpose-driven networking events where you have like 
you know, you, you just like, you know, you're going there for that reason. And I think it's important to have those as well, but they're so much harder. And sometimes it's just nice to have a community feeling and that you can go and you don't even have to speak to anybody. You can go home or you can speak to somebody or whatever you want. You know, it's just that sort of, I think whatever the person wants to get out of it, it's up to them really, you know. We kind of started to do more and more events. We started to do different things and sometimes it's these kind of chilled screenings and sometimes it's like a workshop or panel talk where people come and they want to hear from the industry experts and they probably want to like grab them for like 15 minutes to, you know, chew their ear about their project and that's fine too. And maybe in the future as, as we kind of grow and we're listening to what our community wants to do and a lot of people join our Facebook group because we've got this kind of private Facebook group with the kind of aim to like connect with other uh, people whether it's to like find screenwriters or write uh, you know f find other people for their films and I think um, in that case we probably will look into doing something that's kind of like a matchmaking event where people come with a specific idea where they want to like all right I need a set designer or, or I really want to find like a DP that I can work with for the next however many years you know so it really depends me and Holly don't really talk about our other projects on this podcast but I remember coming and really wanting to tell you about the theatre company that I run that does um, readings of plays for like first time writers mm. but it's, it's again the same thing you have a Facebook group you have a community and the community expands and they're called Backbone Theatre thank you Backbone Theatre and Film actually they're called Backbone Theatre and Film actually <laughs> and when the community expands you find more people to work with and the work becomes more diverse and more interesting and that's mm. something that we're really missing in so many areas of the arts mm -hmm. at the moment. <laughs> That's a really good observation, I think. The fact that having bigger community and expanding the sort of list of people that you work with actually has such a good impact on your work as well. And I think that's something that like companies need to realize as well in diversifying their own, which I'm sure you have spoke about a lot on your podcast before. I mean, I think more people in the room with different voices can only be better you know i think as long as people can learn to listen to each other properly then yeah it can only be a good thing this is a conversation i actually try and have with a few male colleagues that when it comes to creative decision makers and and i mean people who work in like the people who are high up in gap planning mm. the next big campaign it's not just about having the best cv it is genuinely brilliant and useful to have a diverse group of people for the sake of diversity because if you've got a bunch of people with exactly the same background and exactly the same thought processes particularly from a group aka heterosexual middle-class white men they're not going to have a real insight into anything other than that once you're from a different demographic and you've experienced different trials and that's not to say straight white men don't have trials but your input automatically brings something that other people in the room don't have and when you've only got one person who isn't a straight white middle class man they become like this monolith and it's not useful but the moment you have two three five an abundance of different voices it's inherently good for the sake of it because the creative ideas you're going to get out of it are more useful, bigger, wider, more creative, going to reach more people. And I think that's what we need to start talking about with diversity, that it's not just we need to help black people and women and gay people get jobs. It's actually 
they will help your company because they are black female I also remember having this very conversation with my friend who produces The Complicite and I remember her her saying you know people working in the office is just important as having people represented on stage and it actually took me a while to process that because I was going no because you see someone on stage and then you're inspired because you're like I could do that and then I can be part of this community and that community and everything but she was right. Well, um, my friend Kamari from season one, he's a trans man, and he says that in so many auditions, he comes in and isn't just asked to be an actor, he's also asked to be a script supervisor. Like, oh, is that okay? Did we use the right this? And it's like, well, you should have got a trans person to talk to you before you ask the actor, because now you're also in a position of power over them. And it's not their job to be your script supervisor. There's literally a paid role for that. That's why I think representation is so vital. And it's happening. I got brought in to script edit a, um, a show about millennials written by an older white man. So, oh. you know, it is... It is, <laughs> it is some people do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I actually have one question about representation, of obviously, of women is, is your main USP. Yeah. But um, I noticed on your website you use women with a uh, with an X. X. Yeah. If people want to join, you say that you welcome people who identify as women and non-binary. I think that's a really great thing that you're offering trans and non-binary people the opportunity to be in the space. Mm -hmm. Was that something that was always something you felt passionate about and why do you think that's so important? Mm, no, it's a good question. Actually, um, it wasn't there, if, I, if I'm to be brutally honest, it wasn't there from the very beginning. But as, as the community grew and we started to have more people coming in, I have had a few questions from uh, non-binary people and also from trans women that contacted me directly on Facebook, just asking whether this was for them. And I, I, I sort of realised a lot of these things in terms of, in terms of diversity and, and sometimes the non-inclusivity even within diverse or like diversity conscious people is that we often just sort of see what's right in front of us and that's something that I think a lot of us are trying to consciously change that what you see around you is what you understand as, as the world doesn't actually you know doesn't sort of include all of that yes I started changing the sort of communication and even though, you know, first I was like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure that people understand that when I say female, that they mean, you know, that they know that it's like for non-binary people, trans people, they probably are. But I don't want to assume and I don't want to put people into a situation where they're not sure whether they belong somewhere. Like, it's just easier, isn't it, to make it, even if it adds few more words, I think you know, um, the X is really helpful. And yeah, if it's anywhere in our communication on the website from the, you know, there, there may be something uh, that we haven't changed yet, then I'm always open for people to like, let me know and um, we can easily rectify that. Kate is always talking about kind of allowing ourselves and people we know to constantly evolve. Yeah. And the women with an X. So for people who don't know, that's W-O-M-X-N. Yeah. And that is a really snappy short form way of saying non-binary and trans women are welcome. And I just, I just think it's that thing. Ten seconds of extra thought processing can make an entire community know that they're welcome. I think it also keeps uh, transphobes out. Because mm -hmm. they go... Well, I don't want to be a part of that. And you're like, great. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want you in our safe space. <laughs> exactly. How do you curate the events? How do you choose what 
kind of films you're going to be including? Yeah, so at the very beginning, we made a decision that Girls in Film is curated platform for a couple of reasons. I guess a personal reason for wanting to showcase fresh new work that I feel is really exciting. And that's something that I feel is very of our generation, this sort of like uh, internet generation that the filmmaking has become a bit more democratized whether it's the fact that it's become cheaper or it's become easier to disseminate across the world. So people are more kind of inclined to try out new things and be experimental and just kind of do stuff, you know, just you can make film on 300 pounds. I mean, it's painful, but it can be done. (laughs) And I think that puts us apart from the older generation that, you know, is a bit more sort of traditional film and TV industry focused and I really wanted to capture that in our in our um, curation and so we're not necessarily a database of all young women available out there when it comes to our video platform we curate it what we like to say is that we're curating for bold female filmmakers I like the idea of the boldness being this kind of like independence and not being afraid to go there whether it's thematic subject or visual storytelling. So I really like that idea of being curated. That's an accurate uh, representation of the work that I've seen so far. (laughs) (laughs) This recent award season has been marred by controversy. Mm -hmm. We've had BAFTAs so white, Mm -hmm. Golden Globes so male, and Oscars just being... The bar has been so, so low that... The Oscars have been the least controversial of all of them. It's been an appalling year for diversity. Annoyingly, representing an incredible year for women filmmakers. And the idea that Greta Gerwig was the only female director in a year that also had Booksmart Mm. is baffling to me. So what's your thoughts on how we have this emergence of female filmmakers. They're doing really well, but it's not translating into the accolades that they deserve. Is it? Mm. Is it an argument for the fact that actually all these award ceremonies are just... A lot of crap. Yeah, and, and in, in the decade of Netflix, do you mm. know what I mean? They're, they're trying to stop Netflix getting Oscars. I understand Oscars to be a very exclusive world. Like, I don't feel the Oscars is in any way showing the actual world we live in from the industry that lives in the hills in LA and I think you know it this this has so much to do with with the studios with the agents you know there's just so much behind the scenes goings on that I don't think it has a lot to do with the final film however like I have to say Parasite was definitely the best film of the year that could have won and I think there is a huge step forward in the fact that it's the first foreign film that won an Oscar for best film. As and well as best film yeah, in a, what was it? In a foreign, foreign language, language category. And that's huge because, you know, to make Hollywood even watch film with uh, subtitles and to give it this nod, that sort of film is part of their world. That I think is huge, even though it's a male filmmaker, I think, you know, for, the per- for a person of colour who was never interested in getting into their little club you know it's something that's like really interesting for me to see because 
I went to a talk with Bong Joon-ho and, um, and he was himself really surprised that he's been getting all these accolades because he never man- made the film with the view of it being internationally successful. And it's very, you know, there's a lot of layers of a Korean society that we're probably still not getting anyway. So that's a positive thing. I want to say one good positive thing. But that's that's kind of it. You know, it's like we the, there was a spike in Asian representation when the Crazy Rich Asians was out. Like, But that's because of one film, and that's not obviously enough. Obviously, you had Farewell by Lulu Wang. I was really surprised that it wasn't given any kind of note, at least for uh, original screenplay, for example, which I thought was beautiful. And um, they actually won Best Picture at the Independent Spirit Awards, which, in my opinion, are more the kind of awards that independent filmmakers should be watching and should be given given any kind of weight to, you know. Mm-hmm. In in those awards, you had people like Adam Sandler being awarded yeah, the Best gems. Actor, Uncut Gems. And, you know, so I feel like that's a little bit more of an indie spirit that we should be watching. I don't feel like we should be really too disappointed or that it should kind of like weigh on us emotionally what people in the Oscars, in the um, Academy of Motion Picture and Sciences <laughs> think because we are in a different world. And honestly, I feel like we should either have our own awards mm-hmm. or watch can, those kind of awards that actually do give space and time to independent filmmaking. And that includes women and people of color and everyone else you know because good film is a good film like i'm not going to argue you know parasite shouldn't have won because it's a male directed film but i was i was surprised there wasn't more female films and i think greta gerwig was put in because she was again like a safe choice who already was chosen by hollywood that that was you know that was somebody who they were they had their eyes on Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's it's just a it's just a really really difficult um, sort of industry to break into, and I don't feel like it's something that we should worry about too much from where we are, you know, as as independent filmmakers. Yeah. What about people making speeches like Rebel Wilson's speech? Is it at the Baftas? And also, um, God, I cannot say his name. Whacking Phoenix. There you go. She knew. His speech at the BAFTAs was unbelievable. I mean, it's nice to know that you have allies. And I think a lot of people have come up against Joaquin Phoenix about that not being good enough and that he should have never picked up the award if he really felt that it was uh, deserving of somebody else. I mean, I think, you know, there's also a case for saying he did a good job. He got an award. He picked it up with acknowledging his white male privilege. And I think that's a good step forward. If there was a sort of a situation where you have two very, very strong people against going against each other, where, you know, one is white male and another one is a person of color in the same category, and then the white male wins by far, then I would say, yes, maybe he could have made that decision and not pick up the award because there was a very clear yeah. advantage of him. But I think that, you know, as he was a very clear, in my opinion, very clear in that category. Well, also, I felt like the point he was making that he made so well was not even just for equality of outcome, but for equity. So mm. he was saying, I stand here on the shoulders of giants who were only giants because they were white men. Mm. And therefore, regardless of whether or not he deserved it that year, the fact that he could get there mm-hmm. was so much easier because he was a white male. Uh, instead of just saying, no, I don't want it. I think the point that he was making was actually that his road to getting there 
yeah. was the thing that was steeped with privilege. I haven't seen Joker, but once you're doing performances that even people who hated the film are like, mm. it was amazing. And I think that's what gets difficult in discussions about diversity, where people think what we're saying is we just want equality of outcome, where one woman has to win this year. No, what we're talking about is that black people and Asian people and gay people have just as much chance of getting the leading Joker or yeah. a Joker equivalent than him. I think he did a good thing. He I might start having an inclusion diversity rider. I mean, it would be great if he then uh, went on and tried to use the power that he now has as a Oscar winner to bringing more people that he feel also deserve a space. Um, I don't know how it works, obviously, internally, but um, whether it's, you know, suggesting people that would be playing with him in the next film or, you know, asking for a particular crew or somebody who's doing a costume or whatever it is, you know, I know actors have varying degrees of power within the industry. But um, it's the same, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the same with Natalie Portman. Like, I think she's very, very vocal about female empowerment in Hollywood. And on uh, the Oscars night, she wore this cape, which had names of the women directors that were snapped at the Oscars this year, embroidered on the inside of her cape. And I thought that was really cool. But is it enough? Yeah. You know, so for somebody who has only worked with two women directors throughout her career, I think there's a now point where I am personally quite tired of like these sort of constant talks about mm -hmm. what can we do and how can we do it. And it's like, there's only really little that we can do. I mean, we're doing our best in doing events for each other, supporting each other, making podcasts, etc. But then for somebody who has a huge power in the industry, they can do definitely better than wear a cute cape. We have a couple of questions that we ask every single guest on Diversify. No pressure. There's no real reason why we ask it. We're not trying to like psychoanalyze you all. This is probably the most appropriate guests for us to ask because you work in film. But our most vital and important question that we ask is, what's, what's your, your favorite, favorite Disney, Disney movie? movie? Ooh, great question. Maybe not favourite, but one that sticks for me is, and this is going to be maybe quite unusual, Anastasia. Ooh, now in Broadway musical. Mm. <laughs> now in Broadway musical, yes. Not a Disney movie. Is it <gasps> not? No, it's, it's like the only non-Disney Disney movie. I think what? it counts. It's amazing. I love it. Who oh, made it? Some other company. Oh. <gasps> Wow, but they made it look so Disney. And the Swan Princess, I don't think is Disney either. And the Swan Princess is one of my favourite childhood maybe movies. That's, but maybe that's why Anastasia has had felt so ahead of its time when it came out, because it wasn't Disney. Interesting. Well, we spent a lot of time watching that on a DVD when we mm -hmm. were kids. No, I think I think we'll yeah? do that. Yeah. You, you see, I'm I'm from Slovakia, so that history and the Russia and everything, and my parents loved it, and it was just like it was something that was like really close to what we understood. Uh, you know, like th there's just not really that many Disney movies that would deal with like Eastern Europe. <laughs> what other questions do we normally ask? When, if ever, do you turn off your activism? Oh, well, I don't actually even consider myself an activist. I don't know. I'm just, I've been just going along with this silly idea that I've had and it's somehow been going for four years. 
I d- in like you know, it's just Martin become Luther King was yeah. going on with this dream he had. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, no one's asking me to do speeches yet, so that's quite that's quite good. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, I guess it's just the state of mind. But if there was a time ever, then weekends definitely I don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have one question. Okay, in this right. world of hate and anger and pain and Brexit. Is there a little bit of sunshine, something happy that's happened? What's making you feel like, even though everything feels so shit, it's going to be okay? It's going to be okay. Things are getting better. As the storm rages behind the window pane. And in our hearts. I just, I just always think that there were people living through bomb attacks. And, you know, there's like, the, there are people living through bomb attacks everywhere else. Um, you know, in in different parts of the world. So I still feel like that it could things could get worse. So that's oh, my will. yeah. So that's my that's my current my current state of mind is like it could be worse, and it's certainly worse in different countries. And you know, you can just do the best you can. But I know it's a lame answer, yeah, but it's just you can it only do lasts. the best you can. It's fairly realistic. <laughs> um, well, great. Um, Plugs, plugs, plugs. You are on Twitter. What's all the girls in films? Oh, no, I fucking hate Twitter. I'm probably the <laughs> only film person in in the UK who just, like, actually actively give up on Twitter. I just... I'm on Instagram uh, at girlsinfilm underscore gif. And we are on Facebook at girlsinfilm. And we have a website, girlsinfilm.net. So you can check us out there. Twitter is, it's just, I, I can't, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. I just, I log in and the avalanche of information that comes in on me, I'm like, Whoa! Okay, well, we are on Twitter <laughs> at DiversifyPod and Instagram at DiversifyPodcast because we are inconsistent. Like the our world. lives. So yep. the world. Yep. Um, <laughs> and the way we put out our episodes. Um <laughs> Kate is on Twitter at Kate Lois Elliot. Two L's, two T's. And on Instagram at Kate Lois Elliot. Two L's, two T's, because she is more consistent. If you want to find my theatre company, which we talked about earlier as well, it's at Backbone Theatre. Backbone Theatre and Films. Way! Way! Haven't done that before. Thank you very <laughs> much for coming on. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks for having me. And we look forward to seeing you at one of your events soon. Yeah, I hope so. And I've been uh, in a basement in various non-venues in London doing stand-up for the last three months. So I'm, I'm missing sunlight. So get ready for Kate's Type 5 at the end of this episode. <laughs>